If I were a decision maker in the U.S., I would probably want to figure out how to embrace Bitcoin to make the U.S. dollar stronger. I think that's a pretty smart move. We'll see if that happens. Hello there. How are you all? Doing well? It's good to be back in the UK. It's good to be back in Bedford. Flew back from Canada last night and what an epic trip. So thank you to everyone in New York, especially want to give a big shout out. Thanks to everyone over at PubKey. Spent a good time over there. Go and check it out if you're in New York. They're doing some great work. Also, thank you to everyone who came out for the show and the live show we did there, which was very cool. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got my good friend, Amanda Cavallari, on the show to talk about Bitcoin culture. Now, I've known Amanda for a number of years now. She was on the show previously with CJ Wilson, but I wanted to get her back on the show. I wanted to have her on on her own. And we decided to get into Bitcoin culture and how it scales. So if you've got any questions about this or anything else, please do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. You've been here before, right, PubKey? No, it's my first time. My first PubKey. Me too. And you're not here tomorrow. No. I stay today for you. I would stay two days for you. (laughs) What is a PubKey, Peter? Well, next year you're coming to Jackson Hole for me. What's a PubKey? (laughs) (laughs) Something you can share. Don't share the other one. An NPUB. Yeah, well, that's the Nostal one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, how was, that was I mean, that would be interesting week. to talk about Nostra. We can talk about Nostra. My first, my first, no, my, not my first, what was it, my first Nost? What, what do they call, do they call it? Notes. Uh, shoot. They call them notes. Notes, it is notes. Okay. My first note is, what the fuck is an pub? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is an pub? We can talk about Nostra. Nostra public key. I've, I've been playing on Nostra today for my first time. Have you? I have. Welcome. Uh, you know we're recording now. Okay. We're live. Do you know about the story when I first met Amanda? Nope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had a very early drink. <laughs> Did I? Was it like midday? No, it was afternoon. Was it afternoon? It was afternoon. Like 2? Yeah, 2.30. It was a whiskey sour. A bit <laughs> aggressive. I went to interview David Chaum. Where was that? In London. It was in a hotel. I thought it was in London. Why were you in yeah. London? Just visiting. Working with David Chaum. She was oh, with David. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, it didn't work out in the interview, but... Uh, we stayed friends ever since. Yeah, we bonded. Yeah, which was we cool. Bonded. And that was what? How long ago? I don't know. Four, four years ago, almost, or five. And this weird thing happened. Uh, I'd never heard of Jackson Hole, and um, after I met Amanda, she mentioned Jackson Hole to me as a place. And everywhere I go, I would see Jackson Hole here, Jackson Hole. I'd like text you and say, "I even met that dude on the plane." Yeah, I remember that. Who was? What was his name? He was like that lawyer guy. Uh, uh Bob. Or, yeah, I know who you're talking about. So this Jackson Hole thing was building up and up and up. Anyway, I get on this plane and I sit down in my seat. And this guy sits next to me, really cool guy. And he's like chatting away. Oh, are you from the UK? I'm like, yeah. It's like, I'm from Bedford. I'm like, where are you from? He's like, Jackson Hole. I was like, motherfucking. <laughs> this place keeps coming up. Like, why does it keep coming up? And he's like, you should come and visit. And Amanda has been telling me for how long? Four years. Almost, four years. Yeah. Come to Jackson Hole. Not been. And I can't Not come yet. to the uh, ski event. Next year. Do you want to shill it? Do you need more people? We don't need more people, okay. but if people want to join and ski and have fun, and there are a few tickets left for beefsteak, but I mean, it's pretty much tapped out because it's a, it's an enclosed environment. And so we can't, um, it's a citadel. Yeah. The four seasons citadel, I guess. 
but it's it's a cool spot. I mean, it's you know the reason we do it there is because the Fed meets out there every summer. What? So we're trying, yeah, not in, yeah, just north of Jackson Hole. What? Yeah. You didn't tell me that. Now I want to go. That sounded bad. Yeah. What are the What are the dates again? Uh, it's the first week of March. So first. I think, yeah, first week of March and then have like a lot of, um, I mean, it's really interesting. Try to save 50 tickets for locals. So part of the reason why I moved there is it's, you know, kind of a, as you found out, it's kind of like a magnet, right? For really interesting people to visit or live. Um, so we've got, uh, you know, everything from extraordinary athletes because the mountains are so extreme there, very steep. I'm an extraordinary athlete. You are. So you'll be out there I, next year. Yeah, I should be there. <laughs> and then we've got like Fortune 500 board members, folks involved in policy. So it's kind of like my ulterior motive for moving there is I, I started orange peeling people on the ski lift when I couldn't travel for work because of COVID. Right. And so I spent two months just every day on the ski lift. Do you know about Bitcoin? <laughs> <laughs> experimenting. Did it work? Yeah. I mean, I actually, I made some friends doing that. A lot of boomer friends. Um, so some of them come out, will be coming out to the the ski summit. How many people live up there? How big a place is it? Like 30,000. Okay. And it seems to me like it's a, it's a rich person's place. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to live there. So there's, I think, like 96 or 98% of the land is protected. So it's either forest or ranches. And so you can't really develop much more. It's definitely a bubble. Um, so there's a lot of issues with affordable housing and definitely some problems having, like, you know, normal humans living there. It's hard. It's hard for me to live there. Normal, just not <laughs> rich assholes. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How far is it from Wyoming? It is in Wyoming. It, oh, it's, it's right it's, on oh, the it's Idaho the border. Oh, I thought it was in Idaho. Yeah, it's like uh, you have Jackson Hole here, the border, and Idaho, but the Tetons are the border, the Teton mountain range. That's so cool that you're doing it. Where the, why, why do the Fed meet there once a year? I mean, maybe because the Rockefellers had some land out there. Huh. Who knows? And what do they meet for? They just, how they can uh, fuck with us. How, yeah, how, how the year is going to go. Huh. So what have you called the event? Basic, the Bitcoin Ski Summit. So (laughs) (laughs) it is what it is. (laughs) I thought you could have done a play play on the Fed. We totally can. Death. Yeah, I know. Miss, miss, miss. Maybe we can rebrand it. It doesn't matter to me. This is like a passion project. This is not a moneymaker. It's just fun. Yeah. Fun to have people out. what's What's the main challenges in putting it together? Uh, It's a, it's not an easy place logistically. So... Pretty much everyone, the first year they come, I talk to them and explain where to fly into, where to stay, all of the logistics, which day is skiing. And we have a lot of side events, like there will be a beefsteak there and a pub key pop-up um, one night with a DJ. So, um, you know, it's just like explaining all these side events and then really trying to figure out, do you ski or snowboard? What level are you? And then I do this thing for like very good skiers and boarders where... Um, I'll rent guides for like experts, like black diamond skiers, um, as like a reward for your proof of work for like putting in the work to become a good skier or boarder. Oh, I really want to go. I know. So much. What are the dates? <laughs> First of the of March. What day of the week's that? So you can arrive on Wednesday the first at night. So I'd have to come on Thursday the second because it's my dad's birthday. Yeah, I mean you could stay through the weekend. A lot of people leave Sunday. 
Most people leave Sunday the 5th. Who's, who are Real Bedford playing that weekend? Um, I mean, we could see if a bar could play it. No, it's not that. Do you know what? I've got... This is unbelievable. I've got four yeah. guys... No, four guys. 12 guys flying in from Eastern Europe oh, to come and have, have dinner and come and watch a game. They've already been, been out. They loved it so much. They're bringing 12 of them back. I Home love green. Home green, yeah. So I can't do it. Okay. It's next the, year. Next year. It's the next craziest year. thing. Like these guys are flying. They like, had two people. I mean, right, they didn't come from Canada. We had two Canadians make a pilgrimage up to Bedford to watch yeah. our game. Yeah, we're getting them in from everywhere. You should get them in. I think the the interesting part, like about what you're doing, right, is you find, you know, if our greater mission is to bring in more Bitcoiners and help people have access to freedom and equality rails at the most like authentic, genuine level. Um, Finding these networks yeah. where you can influence is so great. So, I mean, football is such a universal connector for for people that it's brilliant. I love it. Well, so you've done this up in Jackson Hole. Sure, yeah. You know the area. You know the people. You know what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. You're building a community. You're now running a ski summit. Uh, here in New York, Thomas is running PubKey. Yeah. And... Uh, doing Bitcoin events at the mining thing today. I've got a football team in Bedford, England, which is like a Bitcoin team. And yeah. I've got I'm orange people, but there's these overlaps. Yeah. So I'm here in New York. Tomorrow, we're going to watch the live stream of the Bedford game here. And so these networks start, it's like they're like nodes, aren't they, of the network? Mm-hmm. Like there's the football node, there's the ski node, and we start connecting with each other. Yeah. I love it. I do too. It's so exciting, especially when you're like passionate because you can connect to people on a more like genuine level, right? And so then it's like, oh, you're into football, I'm into football, I'm also into this, and here's why. And you're able to teach in a way that maybe no one else has ever been able to teach them before. Yeah. And the light comes on. Well, so that happens. So we do these meetups of all the games, some of them, mm-hmm. and it's, it's really mixed. Sometimes we've had like 80 there, mm-hmm. I think the most. Uh, the one on the weekend would say we had 30. Yeah. Uh, by the way, let me tell you this brilliant story. So I presented for the first time. I don't usually like to present, yeah. but the one area of Bitcoin I'm really interested in presenting about is why we need Bitcoin. We made a show on it once and talking about all the different use cases and why this is important. Yeah. And so there's 30 people in this room. One guy's probably two kids. One of them's like 10 years old. And anyway, I was like put out, I said, why do we need Bitcoin? A couple of people said something. Anyway, this kid puts it up and he's like, yeah, well, why do we need Bitcoin? I swear to God, this 10-year-old, he was yeah. like, uh, it was it to minimize that no to limit the scope of government mm. I was like what the fuck yeah how old are you he's like I'm 10 I'm I was 10. like wow that's good parenting there but like it's super interesting that you know we do we get all these people come in they come for football yeah. have and if they want to come to a meetup they can if they don't give a fuck about Bitcoin they can just watch the football but right. they can't help but notice it and want to know what it's all about and I think as we become more successful as we win the league people are going to go well what is it? Right. Even to the point I've wrote, written the program for tomorrow. I don't know if you've read what I wrote. Not Daniel has to double check it. But the problem with football, right, is all these clubs, Amanda, they're all the same. Right. They all have the same messages. You know, it's what do you stand for? Sporting excellence. They'll all have a, you know, ladies team as they should and they'll all have a disabled team as they should and kids team because they're following yeah. due process. They all have the same anti-racism message. Right. You know, it's just they're, they're, the only difference is the colors of their kits. They don't stand for anything. And uh, and so I just think that's bullshit. I think, like, you should stand for something. You know, we stand for financial education, people understanding right. money. And I wrote all about that in this because I think it's an opportunity when you, you've got, like, a platform here. You've got an opportunity to tell people 
what they're not being told told elsewhere because mm-hmm. uh, no one wants to take a risk. Yeah, it's easier to take a risk as a group, right? Much easier. So that's where team sports is really fascinating too. But sometimes when you take a risk, you can be isolated. Mm-hmm. Ka- Kaepernick. Sure. Is it, is it pronounced Kaepernick? Yeah, he. I mean, he was. Mm-hmm. He took a risk and it was isolated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the risk in taking a risk, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of dignity in taking risks, though, right? I think that's, you know, a big reason why this is so important and open source technology is so important. Um, the more kind of centralized things become with AI or CBDCs, the more the less risks people will take and the less innovation we'll have and the less we will fulfill our potential. And that's actually back to Chom. That was, I believe that, that privacy is innately tied to human potential, but so is the ability to take risk, entrepreneurial risk, creative risk. So when you're monitored a lot, that goes away, right? And so it's hard because that monitoring could be, if you're a well-known person, it could be afraid to send that tweet or try this idea because you have too much to lose, right? Um, but that's where maybe with a group sometimes it's a little a little easier. Well, we're a group now. Yeah, we are. Was it Ch- Chan was the one who said, like, uh, privacy is one of the, it's a fundamental pillar of democracy. Yeah, something like Yeah, that. I'm sure he said that. And yeah. I, I'm sure I read that when I was reading about the development of eCash. DigiCash, yeah. sorry. Um that he, like his big thing was like, without privacy, you don't have democracy. Right. I And I don't disagree. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Asia before COVID and I was in Hong Kong um, consulting before, during the protests, right? Mm. And that was pretty heavy. I think that taught me a lot about, um, you know, which direction things can go in. And I think that's really tied to, I mean, CBD's control of money, control of communications, um, control of those two aspects are probably some of the most important vectors for us to protect right now. So that's where, you know, things like, and we were talking earlier about Noster is really fascinating, right? Because you don't have to use an email, phone number. I mean, you don't need any of that for this. And so, you know, while some, anonymous accounts can be a little aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're not wrong, you know, and and those things need to be said. And if everyone is too worried about what others think, so they're not going to say it, then that's a problem too. Right. So I think there's a balance and there's like a, a kind of a natural equilibrium. And so it's really important to protect the privacy of of those people. Yeah, I think, and, and alongside that, to make yourself as anti-fragile as possible. Mm. Or, I mean, Jordan Peterson was talking about this recently, mm. where he said he one of the things he learned is that he needs to uh, have multiple revenue streams mm-hmm. because uh, you know he he was essentially essentially being cancelled as a uh, in his uh, traditional career. Um, but is he a psychologist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's being cancelled, and he said. Yeah, you know, the risk I had is that I only have a single, only had a single income stream. Right. He's now doing events and podcasts, and he does his stuff. And he said the reason to do that is to make yourself anti-fragile. We're trying to do that the same with our right. podcast. Yeah. You know, we're it's a fragile business based on advertising, mm-hmm. which is why we're trying to yeah. trying to do that as well. Um, when you talk about what you saw in China, uh, sorry, in Hong Kong, 
Is that a lens that you look through here in the US or what's happening in Europe? And do you worry about the fragility of democracy and these kind of Western liberal democracies we live in now? Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, yes, I think it's... The more the more monitoring we have, um, I think the less people will feel comfortable to go out and protest and voice their dissent, right? Or to feel comfortable speaking their mind, right? And so that's actually something that I find really fascinating. And then you look at this kind of bigger, you know, Hong Kong was one thing. It was like, you know, really the UK didn't do much for Hong Kong. And that was pretty, it was what it was, right? We don't have to to judge that or you can kind of do. go in the I'm, past. I'm, I'm not impressed, right? I think having more time, because I know a lot of people from Hong Kong and I know how it affected their lives. Mm-hmm and their family's livelihood, right, in very negative ways. And then COVID came and the world forgot about it, and now it's China. So I think that happened so quickly that it makes it easier for Taiwan to be next, for um, countries that have or emerging markets that have quite a bit of debt. You know, they owe China quite a bit. Um, imagine China saying, well, we'll forgive your debt, but you have to use our digital currency, right? So their currency is probably already inflated. You know, that's an alternative to the U.S. dollar. This is kind of the dominoes going, right? And then there's already this ownership of infrastructure, physical land communications. Um, So I think if we're looking at this, you know, not necessarily like... China versus the world, but control versus like freedom or democracy or republics or whatever that is, we need to have an alternative and help people around the world access this alternative. So it's really quite a beautiful thing to see, you know, Bitcoiners creating these companies um, with these larger missions, right? Like it's so much bigger than a few of us. I mean, it's such a massive massive undertaking and how, you know, I think a lot about like how Satoshi even created this and it's miraculous. I mean, it's like how, right? And it took, uh, you know, a few years of hard lessons and pain for me to like get it and come back full circle. But I think I really needed to see what else was out there and be like, no, this, this is super, this is special, right? You say um, the Digital, you talk about the digital yuan and you talk mm-hmm. about freedom versus control. Mm-hmm. But that's just to me, you're thinking about the digital yuan versus Bitcoin rather than the rather than against the dollar. Almost is that almost an admission of defeat that the dollar is dying mm-hmm. essentially as the global reserve currency? It's losing the race against the digital you I don't know that it's lo- it's losing its stronghold, yeah, I believe, yeah, I think you know if I were a decision maker in the u s I would probably want to figure out how to how to embrace Bitcoin to make the u s dollar stronger. I think that's a pretty smart move. We'll see if that happens. Why do you think Bitcoin makes the u s dollar stronger? because it gives people a couple of things, right? I mean, we're seeing companies being built like Strike where you can go in and out of US dollar to Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I think that's extremely important for 
cross-border payments and um, like globalization of business. I don't think we're getting out of that. I think we'll have more and more currencies, just like languages have been going extinct. I think we'll have more currencies go extinct yeah. at a pretty rapid pace over the next 10, 15 years. Um, I mean, it could happen faster than that or not at all, but that's my I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I think it's kind of happening. Yeah. I mean, we've seen what the the Lebanese pound, another 90% devaluation again. Yeah. Uh, they need to stop. They need to get away from their own currency. That country cannot manage a sovereign currency. No. And it's destroyed the economy of the country. It's destroyed people's lives. It has. Um, uh, we're seeing what's happening in Nigeria now. Mm-hmm. We've seen even Turkey with massive inflation. Argentina's always a basket case. No, it was just in Argentina. How, how bad is it getting that? So it was right after they won the World Cup, like the next day. So everyone was happy yeah. from the World Cup. But when you talk to people one-on-one, I mean, they're suffering. And they'll, you know, some of the locals I talked to who are around my age, you know, they said normally there's this like gloom, heavy feeling. But because of the the win, everyone's kind of, you know, amped up. Speaking of football, right? Amped up. Yeah. Um, but I think it'll go back to this. Yeah, I mean, they, uh, there's multiple cycles of going through mm-hmm. the same shit in Argentina. I mean, having been there and spent time with people from there, they, yeah. they, I mean, there's no trust in the money. People don't keep, people don't want the money. No. <laughs> they want dollars. Yeah. But it, I don't know about you, but I, like, I'm agreeing with you that these currencies are dying and that every time they're trying to create one, there's no confidence in them internationally and there's no confidence with them locally yeah. and for these economies to have a chance to rebuild themselves they need something stronger yeah. um i think the biggest risk is countries trying to compete with china with their own cbdc yeah i think they lose because they will not do it as well the, i know the only benefit to a cbdc is control and surveillance right. And you won't get away with as much as control and surveillance in a Western liberal democracy. No. Imagine trying to tell an American from Texas that they have to use a CBDC. And then when you have to, when you go to the grocery store, these are the groceries you can buy. And if not, it expires. I mean, it's just like mind boggling. So I think in the U.S. it's going to be really difficult. It's fascinating, though, um, you know, speaking with folks in D.C., especially on the Democratic side, and it's chilled out a little bit. Now we have, like, FTX FUD to deal with. Um, But a lot of times Democrat offices will say, well, we don't need Bitcoin, we have CBDC. And it's like, well, it's very fundamentally different, you know? Yeah. Um, We don't need planes, we've got cars. Yeah, Yeah. or donkeys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I do like donkeys, though. (laughs) Um, yeah. But I just, I just don't think. I think the the way to compete with control is with freedom. Right, right. You know, sell the world freedom. Yeah. Sell the world of freedom technology, which is Bitcoin. Yeah. I think that's the way you win, and I think, I think freedom will always win. Right. If it's like uh, the North Koreans looking over the border of South Korea and trying to escape, they try and escape to freedom. Yeah. I mean, why would you? You know, you want to escape to freedom and freedom money. Hmm. Uh, and this is why sometimes with some Bitcoiners, uh, they say, forget DC, forget all the politicians, mm-hmm. just keep building TikTok, another block. But there are a lot of people now trying to work with preventing some uh, like regulatory overreach. Uh, Danny brought it up earlier, the Nick Carter article, which I haven't mm-hmm. read yet, on, like his Operation Choke Point. 
But my fear is like this like regulatory scope creep that just makes it harder and harder to be a Bitcoiner. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know the DC crowd better than I do. Yeah. Do you think there is effective work being done? Yes and no. Okay. I mean, it's a lot of work. That's the problem, right? There's, so we have, I'm a part of the board of directors of the Bitcoin Today Coalition, which is a C4. So we go in and teach. And that's on the Hill. We also have a subgroup called Veterans and Energy Technology Security. So we have, you know, former Army Ranger, former State Department, you know, Marine across the board. And we're working on, you know, getting those people out to D.C. and teaching and just building trust. Like that's the main thing is building trust and doing this in a way that speaks the language of D.C. Because if you go into D.C. and you come in hot to trot and we're going to do it this way, you know, what's going on behind the scenes for the staffers is probably not as positive as, as we would want it to be. So we focus on building trust and education and creating, like, finding people who have the potential to be Bitcoiners in these offices and then helping them feel supported so they can take that risk, right, and be that person in their office. Another thing we're doing is trying to staff Bitcoiners in um, in jobs in D.C. Oh, wow. Yeah, and just Trojan horse it, you know. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's Sneaky. a small. Yeah. Yeah. And that could go two ways. That could be, you know, with a um, in the private sector in D.C. or it could be, you know, government sector in D.C. But I think the more we can do that, then really the name of the game is I don't disagree. I think it's slowing it down, not in a defensive way, but in a like slow the train down, because right now it is just barreling through. They'll use um, any excuse to push legislation that will look like they're protecting consumers. So this FTX thing really did hurt everything, including Bitcoin. This show is brought to you by Wasabi, who I am using to make sure I keep my Bitcoin private. Now, with the release of Wasabi 2.0, Bitcoin privacy is now effortless as a wallet has introduced privacy by default. Rather than having to choose to coin join, this can be done automatically. So you just need to receive your Bitcoin, wait for the coin join, and then you can spend freely. All the magic happens automatically in the background, which is a massive UX improvement. You do also get additional privacy through Tor integration into Wasabi, so you don't leak your IP address. There's also no more minimum denomination, so you can coin join any amount, and there's no more change, so any amount you receive from a coin join is private. Privacy is something I've been taking a lot more seriously recently, and with Wasabi 2.0, this is so much easier. So if you want to find out more about this, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B. I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Next up today, we have Casa. Now, whether you've bought your first SATs or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person that should be in charge of your Bitcoin and your financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin, it doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it super easy. And getting started is simple. Just download the app, create an account, and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need assistance, it's only a phone call away. And Cast has the best in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. And I have been using Casa. I've been using their multi-sig for two years now. I absolutely love it. 
Now, it is time for you to take financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, today we have Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin. But again, I'm only buying right now. We're hodlers. We've seen the bottom of the market. We've seen this through, right? Now, I've been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry-leading security since day one. And Gemini are also running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. All you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers get $20 in Bitcoin when they trade $100 or more on Gemini. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I dot com forward slash WBD. Yeah, so the whole consumer protection thing mm-hmm. kind of pisses me off because the people who are the most reckless spenders of our money mm-hmm. is the government. And if anything, we need consumer protection from, from the oh government. And for these people to yeah. preach about consumer protection is massively hypocritical. Um, yeah, I mean, politics is a pretty icky I don't feel good when I come back home from DC. I have to go ski it out. Like I'm not kidding. Get in the fresh air. Yeah. It's, well, is it's, it is is it itself fundamentally broken, or do you think it's always been that way? Do you think it's always politics? Yeah. Or do I you think, think it's the re- you, sorry sorry to interrupt. The reason I bring it up is that we've had this chart on before, which shows how uh, how the US is becoming more and more partisan. Mm-hmm. And to me, if, if it's becoming more partisan, it's becoming more broken. Because the incentives are such that there's no reason to cross the aisle to do, do what is right for the electorate. It's mm-hmm. to, it is to do what is right for you and your career. And a lot of people recently in various interviews I've heard talk about how people now, they become senators to become famous. Yep. They don't become senators because they're you know, people of strong ethic. And moral. Like uh, this, Who's that Getz guy I've like reading about recently? <laughs> What's his name? I haven't Matt met Getz? with his office, but yeah, maybe yeah, one day. It just seemed like a, he seems like an unusual person to be a senator. There are a lot, right? And I think that that isn't totally new. What I would say is from where the U.S. has gone from the Bill of Rights to where we are now, and there were a lot of people who didn't agree with each other back then, and there was a lot of passion and, you know, headbutting, and but it created a beautiful product, yeah. right? A beautiful, ideal-based um, country. So... The more, I, but I, I feel you're right. There's, they call it the nickname for DC is the ugly people's Hollywood <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, but some are not ugly, but um, Who? <laughs> maybe in the inside. There are a few, I think there are a few that really have made it all the way to, you know, to the hill and have some moral code left, right? Not many. Because, but like Senator Lummis, I mean, yeah. you know her. Um, she strives very hard to work across the aisle. Yeah, I mean, she is she is a true cowgirl. So, yeah, yeah, I have a lot of respect. I for think her. I saw her on Nostra earlier. Good. <laughs> That's like go on. <laughs> Sorry, a beefsteak. Like a senator at a beefsteak. Yeah. I think she's amazing. She is. Yeah, she's a. I mean, you 
you speak with her and you know that she's actually listening, not trying to sell you something. She's, she's the genuinely real fucking deal. connecting and trying to understand where you're coming from, which is the point of. But that's, that's this is what I would want from all politicians to be ideal based who want the best for the electorate. Yeah. And it just, it this seems such a brazen disregard for the people who voted them in. Or actually, sorry, even further than that. Like my belief is any politician who's voted in represents the entire electorate, even the ones who didn't vote them in. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're a senator for Texas, you represent the Democrats and the Republicans in your state, not right. just the Republicans. It's to the point of the question I put to Senator Cruz. I was like, tell me something about Democrat policies that you like. He wouldn't give me anything. And it's like, wow, so you just don't give a shit about, you know, you can disagree, but you should give a shit because that's the electorate. And I just don't think these people care anymore. Well, D.C. is a total machine, right? Like the way that they become so partisan is they get these talking points, test them out. And unfortunately, algorithms and the people who vote in primaries prefer the more extreme, right? Right. And to vote in a primary, you have to be registered Republican or Democrat. And that's where we're getting these more extreme candidates. And we're not in it. Marjorie? Is she considered extreme? Uh, I would just, you She's know, talked there's about so many. You don't want me to name yeah. anyone. I no, get no, it. No, I, get I it. can't name anyone. All right. Well, I, no, I just, I, I do it by who I see the most from. Sure. Um, yeah. But, but it seems to me that it's like there's quite extreme labels being put from one side, like they're groomers and baby killers. And then on the other side, it's just as bad though. Oh yeah, like, no, that's what I'm saying. They're, they're yeah. just the first two I thought of. And, yeah. and I think you can make a much more nuanced point about abortion without calling people baby killers. You can fundamentally, I, I mean, I disagree with abortion. You can fundamentally disagree with it and make a nuanced argument why yeah. rather than just going, you're baby killers. Because that puts them on the defense. And they're like, this. I think to have an intellectual debate, you have to have nuance. So this is also, you know, this is a very grand desire, right? Because humans are very flawed. And when they've been rewarded for being a certain way, it's harder for them to to cross that chasm, right? And and as it gets wider, as the gap gets wider, it gets harder and harder to cross. I think eventually what will happen is, you know, I hope not, but I think something will have to break and I don't know what that is exactly. And I, I would hope we can prevent that. And maybe Bitcoin's part of that because it's higher than anything. I mean, there's that idea of the Orange Party, right? Yeah. From the Lex Friedman podcast. I I think that's like a big, you know, that's that book that CJ and I were on about Bitcoin and the American Dream. Like that's a big piece of it is this is bigger than a party. So transcending the political divide. It also unfortunately requires a lot of emotional intelligence and you know, really humbling yourself and pushing your ego down or dealing with the stuff that created certain aspects of your ego. And most people in this fast-paced world just don't have time for it. Yeah, I think I think it's a really important point because uh, for Bitcoin to succeed, it has to be apolitical. It's a tool. Bitcoin mm-hmm. isn't political. It, it is a tool yeah. um, for sending value around that everybody needs. Right. And... Uh, this is why someone like, like Senator Lummis crossing the divide with the, the aisle with uh, Senator Gillibrand, I think mm-hmm. is brilliant. And I would love Ted Cruz to do the same because uh, if 
conservatives have really bought into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. They really need to have a relationship with Democrats on this issue and not become something as another partisan fight. This needs to be understood as a tool for everyone, like the internet, like 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 AI. Yeah. All these are tools. They're only weapons if you point them the wrong way. Right. And any kind of partisan fight would be terrible for Bitcoin, but it'd be terrible for the conservatives who like Bitcoin. Both sides. You know, it's um, one of the things that's really frustrating is that, you know, Bitcoin, I see it as two things, the rails for freedom and equality, right? Yeah. And so you look at those two things and neither side of the aisle disagrees that those are extremely fundamental, important characteristics of a functioning United States. And at the same time, for different reasons, you know, I mean, maybe energy, for example, and maybe it's lack of understanding how the grid works and how much energy is actually stranded or wasted. And looking at, you know, ESG, completely forget about the S and the G, the governance of Bitcoin is beautiful. Like it's one of the most Mm. amazing things there that exists, right? You know, the S creating jobs in rural areas that there were no jobs based off of just a stranded resource, something that's been created and wasted. And the E is it allows for innovation and infrastructure, right? So you've got, you know, I believe I'm a nuclear fan, I think we are now. Yeah, I heard. Did you hear the Anthony Jarrett show? We I were? haven't yet, you but gotta, we talked. Yeah. You've got to check this show out. Okay. It will blow your mind. The guy is incredible. Yeah. We're, uh, pro, we're pro-nuclear guys now. That's one of my favorite shows we've made in a long time. Yeah. Apart from today. Obviously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was very ob- it's very obvious to me that Bitcoin ticks every ESG box almost more than anything else there is. Yeah. Like it was designed for ESG. <laughs> Yeah. At a time where ESG is kind of dying, it's reputationally <laughs> dying. It is. You know, yeah. it's, and I think yeah. because, I think the problem with ESG is that it was used to virtue signal some ideas and push some narratives when, and there was a lot of like hypocrisy within the scoring systems of ESG companies, mm-hmm. a lot of bullshit. So, I think it naturally failed. But I think the issues that people care about within the SG are important issues. Yeah. I think, you know, there's living in, in Jackson Hole, right? I mean, there's so much protection for the land around there. And one could argue that's because, you know, the billionaires are protecting their property value and don't want more neighbors. At the same time, you could argue that this is a very special place and needs to be you know, protected from peasants. us ants. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I don't think peasants. <laughs> We've got a lot of amazing ski bums and you've got a really interesting, interesting community and visitors. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we need the bald eagles, you know, there's, it's fascinating. So it's a really, I definitely appreciate that and protecting you know, parts of the world physically, right? I also think the way that we do things when it's controlled by government or utilities, which are almost worse than government because they can't be voted out, it's fascinating. That whole world is fascinating. Um, 
And sometimes, and some utilities are amazing and super innovative. And you're like, well, why can't everyone, you know, why is it just this state or this region? And some co-ops, energy co-ops are very innovative. Um, but I'd say some of the larger ones maybe are very stuck and they're trying to protect their moat, you know, and that's the thing. That's what we see with centralized entities. They're protecting their moat and making it, you know, wider and wider and wider until eventually they can't get out or nobody can get in. And that's what's happening with so many things. I mean, so many things. Uh, what, what role do you think Bitcoin culture will play in the kind of future adoption acceptance of Bitcoin? Because there's parts, it's, there, there is no longer a, a single Bitcoin culture. I think you could argue there perhaps was or quite a singular culture in the very early days. And I think it's fractured and I think there's multiple subcultures. But but there are consistent threads, consistent strands, consistent ideas. But yeah, there's, there's quite an anti-government, you know, anti-state side of Bitcoin uh, at a time where we've got the state you know, with with uh, we've got um, regulatory scope come uh, scope creep coming from the state at the same time. Do you think there's uh, a need for culture to adapt and change, or like how do you think about that whole area? Because we spoke in advance that we would maybe discuss, yeah, I mean, culture, and that's part of why um, you know why I got involved with PubKey and and the ski summit and the policy. I think it's time for us, you know, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. Um, a lot of us come to Bitcoin because we didn't fit in the current systems that exist or we ask why, right? Mm -hmm. And whether that means we're, you know, for me, dyslexic or like whatever their someone's thing is, it we just see things a little bit differently or don't, just can't conform to the norm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so... I think that helps like that pain or that struggle or that difficulty, maybe younger in age that might've caused some trauma, right. Or some self-esteem or like whatever the issues are. It's now we found this thing and we found our tribe, right. Whether or subculture within something larger and a larger mission and are very passionate about it. So it's hard it's hard when life has, was hard for so long and now you have your aha moment not to rub it in people's faces or not to project fear, shame, or guilt that maybe you had projected onto you when you were younger. So I think it's time, you know, for us to go like in so that we can be better out. So I hope, you know, more, more Bitcoiners can you know, go in, especially during the bear market, it's like a perfect time, right? Go spend time in nature, like somatic work. I, you know, whatever, whatever it is, rolfing. I think there's so many different modalities that people can try and experiment with right now because we're going to need those tools, especially as the centralized entities like the FDA gives us fewer and fewer options. I think it's, I think there's a real connection, like overlap with a Venn diagram between have holistic, um, you know, like the holistic health world, right? Or wellness world and Bitcoin. I mean, we already know probably shouldn't eat seed oils, right? Yeah. We figure these things out just through research and the network effect of like, 
enough people doing the research to, to validate these ideas. And so I hope that we can, you know, one thing that I really love is like, I haven't had alcohol in eight years. So I think the more kind of inward we can go and clean up our streets, right? Our individual houses. I think that will help us be more powerful in bringing, you know, the next wave of Bitcoiners in with a very values-based, you know, approach versus this number go up, FOMO, like fiat, you know, I really don't enjoy bull cycles, honestly. Like yeah, they're brutal. I know. I'm I yeah. feel a little bit embarrassed about I used to do this uh, tweet thread that still exists. Like every time it went up a thousand dollars, I would retweet the yeah. last one and go up and say, like, Yeah, now I just feel like such a dick for it. We'll see uh, it at sixty five K. Sixty nine. We got up to sixty nine, didn't we? Oh, I don't yeah, sixty nine K. Not sixty nine for twenty though. <laughs> I know. Soon. Didn't it, hold on, didn't it go 69 and crash to 42? I didn't think it got that high. I think it crashed from 69 to 42,000. We're trying so hard. No, I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. Yeah, are you, are you, yeah just just under 69. And then to what? 42. Well, I mean, at some point between... No, but it wasn't like it very quickly to 42. Uh, yeah, you're right, actually. It was in like two weeks, I think. yeah. It's kind of like, come on, man. Uh, eight years, no alcohol. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've given up drinking. Oh, I didn't know, actually. Yeah, I stopped. That's amazing. Uh, stopped at the start of the year. Yeah, probably. And I refused to say I was doing like dry January because yeah. uh, I kind of said I want to do dry 2023. I yeah. just thought I'd see how the first month will go and I'll report back on the end of the year I've done. But I'm kind of, you know how some people do it? It's like, oh, I've got to give up. And they try and give up for the month and yeah. get through. I, it's been a relief. Yeah. Not drinking. Yeah. And I've drunk a lot in my life. Yeah. Same. Yeah. <laughs> and not, not, I didn't give up because it's like any kind of alcoholic. I don't drink a lot at home. But when we used to do these trips, I'd drink on the fly and then, you know, we'd hang out together. I drink most days. Yeah. And I'm just, I don't know. It's just gone and I'm, I'm not missing it. I'm not feeling like, oh, I want to drink. I'm not, I just don't. I'm just cool with it. It's yeah. a weird thing. It's freeing. I think sometimes you get to a point, it was like when I used to take drugs, I mm -hmm. couldn't like smoke weed. When I was younger, I used to smoke weed yeah. and I wanted to give up and I just never did. And then one day I just did. And it was, there was like, the time was right. Same yeah. with cocaine, same with alcohol. Like yeah. every, it's just had it. There's a time it's had its time. Right. Yeah. It's definitely liberating. Also like thinking of it this way, alcohol is a depressant. So it's a very low vibe, like it brings you down, you know. Oh, it, it never did that for me, actually. Yeah. Apart from a hangover word. Well, hangover, but I think over over time, like once once it's out of, for me, once it was out of my system for like a year, I was like, oh, I just, I sleep better. Life is easier. Things are flowing. Not everything's a struggle. Like it just became easier. I mean, I started drinking when I was 12. <sighs> it was in seventh grade. <laughs> like my friends... I mean, this is crazy, but my friend's... Um, 12. 12. Shit, that's my daughter's age. I know. I got myself kicked out of gifted and talented. Like, I was bad. My mom almost sent me to boarding school, but she didn't know what was going on because I was still able to hide it. Like, because it was just on the weekends, but it was totally... I mean, it just took me down fast, right? So, 12. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, I was a Jesus. special kid, right? Yeah. Yeah, who knew? Like, who would expect that? But I think, you know, kids... And that's what I'm saying, like... I think a lot of Bitcoiners have these things. And so it's like, where did it come from? You yeah. know, how do you, 
how do you like heal it within yourself? Because until you do that, we're not going to be able to build the future in the most amazing way we can, right? We see this bigger vision. To get to that, you also got to leave your stuff behind to like get, up, get to it. This show is brought to you by Ledin. And from savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. Now, Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they will re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only is a Ledin sponsor, I am also a customer. I've been using Ledin since they became a sponsor, and I absolutely love the service. Now, if you want to find out more about this, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Next up today, we have Ledger. And now with everything that's happened in Bitcoin over the last few months, it again highlighted the importance of self-custody and why Ledger is such an important company for the industry. Now, I have been using a Ledger Nano S since 2017, since when I got back into Bitcoin. And I'm still using that same Ledger Nano S now. I've still got, I literally got it here set with me right now. Now, with Ledger, you have industry-leading security built into the Ledger device. And also, they have got a new device coming soon. It's called a Stax. It's totally awesome. I've pre-ordered mine. But the Ledger Nano S has been the leading hardware device for people to store their Bitcoin for years now. Now, if you want to find out more and purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. Also, today we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino. Trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, not only do they have cutting-edge security, fast withdrawals, and VIP experiences that money can't buy. With over 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 live chat support, BitCasino is the best online casino for Bitcoiners. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, please head over to bitcasino.io, which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. It's so funny. It just makes me think of that first time we met and I turn up at like one. <laughs> I still think it was midday and it's like we had to wait for the interview. I was like, I'm going to have a drink. Do you want one? You're like, no. I was like, well, I'm having a, I get a whiskey sour or an old fashioned. You must be thinking, you fucking degenerate. No, I, don't care. <laughs> I don't care what other people do. I just need to care what I do. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So th- th- I think there's lots of different uh, subcultures or mm-hmm. different different aspects of Bitcoin culture mm-hmm. and a fiat gets attached to a lot of it all. And sometimes I find it a bit cringy, but there is like diet, the alcohol is one thing, yeah. exercise, yeah. how you exercise, uh, approach to building businesses, mm. what is yeah. ethical, what is not ethical. Yeah. Uh, I've Are you up, a high time preference or a low time preference, VC, no VC? Like yeah. Um, and that was quite interesting, actually, because we interviewed Danny Scott when we were in London, wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, who's um, from Coin Corner. Mm. And he was like, yeah, we've never raised any money. Mm-hmm. We have no one to answer to. We mm-hmm. just do our thing. Yeah. Which I thought was super interesting. Uh, I guess that's a consistent thread part of cult- the Bitcoin culture because mm-hmm. it's intrinsically tied to holding Bitcoin is time preference. And so I think a lot of these things are kind of natural 
where I think the culture is fragmented, but I think there's two parts of the culture that are fragmented. I think there's competing ideologies, whether you are, you know, somebody who believes in democracy like myself or somebody who is an anarcho-capitalist. That is a competing ideology. But I think right now we're seeing a resurgence of the competing ideology of uh, the role of block space. Mm. We're going there? We You're going, going to make me talk about ordinals, aren't you? It's, we don't even have to talk about ordinals. <laughs> okay. I, actually, I actually wrote a list. like, uh, And this is something that's quite interesting to compare to the ETH weirdos. Everything that happens on ETH is seen as opportunity and seems to be like everyone's lying, oh, there's this new thing, let's do it and let's see what happens. Yeah. Everything that's done on Bitcoin is seen as, oh, no, this is a threat. Why, like, don't trust Verify? Yeah. And 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 there's just two... Would you say I'm being fair there, Danny? Yeah, you know, I, I get what you mean. You mean because they're not worried about block space and... I think it's uh, build fast, break things. Yeah, totally. Whereas... Um, I think bitcoins have like moved slow, mm-hmm. like uh, what is it like a like a glacier moves slow. Yeah, you know it's hard to change and it's competing. So, you know whatever the new fucking idea is on ETH, whatever it'll be next time. We've had ICOs and NFTs and exchange tokens. It's I think like there's a, IFOs now. What's an IFO? I, I don't know. I thought it was a UFO, and I read uh, something. Oh, yeah. What could be an IFO? Look up this shit. Don't but like it's always a new thing. It's like the reason, and I think what it is is like. Um, I think ETH is essentially a solution for trying to find a problem. So, okay. So, yeah, Bitcoin has a product market fit yeah. with hard money you can't with, Fuck right? With. Yeah. You can swear. Thanks, Jason. I'll, Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Thanks, Jason Williams. I know. He's a trip. But, yeah, so because they haven't found that consistent, like, use case because yeah. Bitcoin did it first and they didn't do it as well. They're always trying to find something. What's an IFO? I can't find it. Okay. You just make that up. No, we, I'll, I'll show you later. Yeah. It's in an article. And so like whatever the next thing is, oh, like we've got another use case. Let's do it. Like NFTs, like, whatever the fuck. And whereas with Bitcoin, they had product market fit from day one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's not fair. That's not fair. I, I can't say when they had product market fit, but they have product market fit now. It is sound money, mm-hmm. censorship resistant money, like fully decentralized. Yeah. And so, like, anything that comes in that fucks with that, it's like, well, why? Yeah. And so I've got the list. Like, you know, firstly, it's it's alts themselves as a mm-hmm. threat. Like, why do you want an alt? Mm-hmm. You know, you only need Bitcoin to maximalism. We had block size back in 2017. We've recently had zero comp as a debate. And I'm very, I've got a lot of empathy towards John Carvalho's position on that, a lot mm-hmm. of empathy towards Sergey from BitRefill. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a use case that's got removed for whatever reason. And now we have ordinals. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that this f- fractures the Bitcoin community around ideas. You know, I think really deep down, it's like, what is the market going to decide as well, right? At the same time, there's value in protecting the integrity of the base layer and keeping, you know, I see both sides of it. And that's the hard part, right? So I'm like, Welcome I'm not to trying to be like friends with everyone. I'm like, I don't, I don't have the answer either right now. And so it's like, I'm just trying to keep track of both sides of this. The way I think of, you know, it, Bitcoin compared to alts and fiat for that, right? You have, I think of it like music in a way. So you have 
in an orchestra, you have the bass, right? So maybe that's the blockchain, right? That's the the ledger. Um, then you have the open source technology. We'll make that the triangle. And then the cello is maybe, you know, the every 10 minutes, TikTok next block, right? And you've got all of these different um, different aspects, this immaculate conception, maybe that's the horn. All of this, you know, to me is like, Beethoven's Symphony Number no. Five, and then you look at, you look behind the curtain with Fiat and Alts, and it's like this is two a.m. KTV, like two a.m. karaoke, or Nickelback, or <laughs> Nickelback. <laughs> <laughs> when I uh, first time I ever came to uh, the went to the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, I drove from L.A. to San Francisco, got to the Golden Gate Bridge, and as I was coming up to the Golden Gate Bridge, I had. Nickelback was playing on the radio, and I was like, I cannot fucking cross the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> listening to Nickelback. So I quickly got ACDC Highway to Hell on. Okay, good. <laughs> Fuck on, fucking Nickelback. Commercial's better than Jesus. Nickelback. I'd rather have Sorry. Like, white noise. Poor no, Nickelback. I'm, no, I, I, I get it. Like, yeah. um, So on the ordinal thing, by the way, before that, mm-hmm. it's initial farm offering. A what? For like DeFi farming. I told you. Initial farm offering for DeFi farming. Yeah. I st- it's just it's really bad timing because all of DeFi is like a very low hanging fruit like that's the interesting part about bitcoin is there are all these other things around it that are kind of a moat so i get the attack vector speaking of ordinals of you know the attack vector on the policy side with ordinals could be if there's stuff that's on the chain we can come after it now right so i get that for i completely get that um at the same time, voted taproot in, so it's kind of a conundrum, right? It's ta- so, I mean, look, for a thicko like me, it, this is an unintended consequence of taproot, or people already I don't know. know. I think... Because I think it's, like, think why it's, is it only just now that people have figured this out and debated in it? I don't know. Who knows how there's, like, a critical mass of these things behind the scene as well, right? I mean, I've kind of... The, the funny thing is one of those things where I've, I haven't really chirped up on it yet because yeah. I kind of I was talking about it earlier to Ben Prentice I kind of don't care but that but I'm, I'm starting to care in that when I first saw it I was like I don't care if people want to put JPEGs yeah. Bitcoin I'm not going to buy them I think it's stupid but I don't care Yeah. and like when I saw somebody say yeah somebody's played 9.5 Bitcoin for like a punk and I was like yeah. they probably didn't they probably sold it to themselves like come on get a grip yeah just like the yeah. Yeah, previous exactly. NFT and then when people are like saying, oh, you know, like it's a waste of block space, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't care. Like I can still get my things in the blocks. But actually, what I really care about Bitcoin, Bitcoin's so simple, right? Mm-hmm. So when I explained to somebody, I was like, I steal something that uh, John Pfeffer told me. John Pfeffer told, you know John, right? Mm-mm, uh, John's a great guy. So like he um, he told me about the first time he met uh, Wences and how Wences, uh, Orange Pilled him. He said, mm-hmm. money is a ledger. Bitcoin is the best ledger ever created. Mm. And it's like, when I explain it to people, I say, Bitcoin just does one thing really, really well. It allows you to send value from one person to another. It is very secure. I can send it to you instantly. And it's got no middleman. So I get them to download a wallet and I send them some Bitcoin and it instantly appears. And I say to them, that happened without going through any centralized entity. And you hold that Bitcoin. Show me your bank balance. You don't own that. This is literally, you've got control of that Bitcoin. No one can take it from you unless yeah. you, you know, lose your private key. I was like, does that very well. 
And that's why I think we got product market fit so well, because Bitcoin is just so simple and pure and how it does that. When I see this ordinal thing now, I think it kind of clouds that a little bit. It's like, oh, Bitcoin does two things really well now. It moves value around and like allows us to send JPEGs. And a lot of the people kind of defending ordinals, there's like two main, def- well, kind of three main defenses, like free market, all right, fuck off. Uh, the second one has been like, uh, oh, yeah, but it's making, um, it's using up block space, so it's, you know, minor rewards have improved. And I'm like, yeah, but like that's time preference. Um, and then what's the third thing? I think it's just, it's an opportunity for people who aren't like maximalists to poke the maximalist yeah, bear. Like to have a go, ha look, we've got taproot wizards, ha we got this, like, ah, fuck you, we can do what we want with it. I know you hate it, so we like it. It's becoming like a trolley thing. Maybe, but I think it's also like a, you know, the, this is an open source technology, and if the rules exist to do something, then exploring that is kind of we're explorers right and innovators so it's hard to say no 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 don't i do this you know it's not a no it's like oh this is such a shame what a distraction yeah it's an interesting it's tough you know i'm glad i've been distracted by noster yeah <laughs> Yeah, I like literally started using that about the week, the ordinal things kind of, and I was like, what are ordinals? <laughs> but I signed um, up to Nostra today. Congrats. I'm a, are you going to Nostrica? What the fuck's Nostrica? Oh, you should go. It's, uh, I think, March like 18th or 19th through 21st in Uvita, Costa Rica. I was, okay, this is a crazy story. So, Speaking of like inner journeys, like I've done a lot of like self work this year, and I think that's you know been really nice. Has changed a lot in my life, and really grateful to have the bear market to do that. So I heard this song in April that just like really like hit home for me, and I've been trying to find this song for almost you know since April, and I found the song three weeks ago, and the guy, the musician is Estas Tone T O N N E. Um, and so I, I heard the song, sent it to my friends who were there also. I was like, this is the song, this is the song. And so went to go, you know, look at where he's playing next. And it's in Uvita, Costa Rica at this place called Awake. And so then I'm like, oh, okay, that's, I could go there before New York and go see the show. Cause it's going to be like less than a hundred people. When else can I do that? You know, that's pretty amazing. So I then signed up for Nostra after I had already bought the tickets to the show. Turns out Nostrica is something that is um, being put on by Nostra folks. Uh, and Jack Dorsey's been really behind Nostra, so he's helping with it. In Uvita, Costa Rica at Awake, literally the same place I just went to a concert at, like out of the blue. So I was like, okay, now I have to go. Uh, you know. What are the dates? Let's have a look. This is right at the crucial part of the season. I know, but it's so good. Uh, March 19th, 21st. Ooh. Who have we got on the Saturday? <laughs> See? <laughs> Look, I got first you. football, then freedom, okay? I've got to get my priorities right. I've always wanted to go to Costa Rica. Yeah. Where, where in Costa Rica is it? Like, is it near a major airport? Um, I think you can take a regional flight in. So fly into San Juan yeah. and then take a regional. 
Or they have shuttles or... It's an away game on the Saturday. you got Northampton and Silby. Away? On the 21st. So I'd fly... I, so I'd go on the That's 20th. on the Tuesday, though. So you'd have to come back early. Who have we got on the Saturday? Uh, Rushton and Hyam. Rushton and That's at That's away. It is. So I could miss the Rushton game. So I could... When are you going? Are you going on the Saturday? I'm going a couple of days early and probably staying a couple of days late. So I could go on the Friday, but I, I need to get back to that Silby game. I'd be tempted. If you're going as well. Yeah. Let me definitely think about that. I mean, the reason also, like, so there's something called Bitcoin Jungle. Have you heard of yeah, this? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Hold so on. That's Are they in the guys who re- didn't those guys reach out to us? Mm, I don't know. I don't know anything about They're that. They're cool. I've never heard of so that. So I got to hang out with them because okay. the guy, the, one of the owners of Awake is like one of us, you know? So he's, uh, yeah, it's cool. I got to like spend a little time with them while I was out there and I got to pay using lightning at a couple different local restaurants like it's they did an amazing job so what do you make in nostra what do i make of it okay this goes back to the algorithms thing right so like Mm -hmm. twitter i think part of part of the divide with bitcoin has to do with algorithms and more likes for breaking news or you know controversial tweets right so nostra there's no algorithm yet which makes it harder to find content that resonates with you unless you follow people. But at the same time, it's more, honestly, it's much more positive, like much more positive. And I feel like there is a momentum behind it that's authentic and sticky. Yeah. So I I really, I dig it. I got a little bit lost in it today, didn't I? Yeah, you've been on it a lot. Do you know, do you know why I like it? Hmm. I like it for it, everything I've hated recently about Twitter. Yeah. I think Elon Musk is Elon Musk. Elon Musk <laughs> has truly fucked up Twitter. I think Twitter was messed up before Elon. Once once they started kicking Jack out, I think things Yeah, look. It, it wasn't great before, but it was a useful tool for finding interesting conversation sure. and marketing. Like yeah. whatever people yeah. say, it's a great tool for marketing. But like, I think he's truly fucked it in a number of ways. I got a notification through the other day that my Twitter Blue has been cancelled. And I don't know if they got rid of Twitter Blue or they've changed. Like, my Twitter Blue got cancelled. Yeah. I don't know why. When he changed the ver- verified badge, he didn't really think that through. Now, this is going to sound super elitist. <laughs> but there was a really useful thing mm-hmm. uh, with the blue verified badge. Is that every now and again, you would get followed by someone with a blue verified badge. You'd go, mm-hmm. oh, who is that? Oh, they're that. And then I would reach out to them and say, hey, thanks for the follow. And maybe that ended end up being an interview. Yeah. But when he changed it that anyone can get the blue, it just had no meaning. It's yeah. like, well, so all you, you're just telling me everyone who's paid for it. But like... Scarcity. Yeah, it's just yeah. like, it just hadn't had, so it lost meaning. And that's not to say that like other people shouldn't be verified. It was just a useful way of identifying people out that there's a reason to connect with them, talk to them about certain things. Right. You know, as a podcast maker. Right. Uh, my entire feed now is basically Elon Musk saying stuff, uh, whatever the latest fight of the day is, and, and then actual people in fights. Yeah. Like fight videos. It's aggression. The algorithms are like aggressive. Yeah, it's yeah. super aggressive. Yeah. I barely see stuff from, there's certain people I just don't see their stuff at all. I feel like I haven't seen a sailor tweet in ages. Yeah. I don't know if he's tweeting or whatever reason, but I feel like I don't see it. Um, And then also when I put stuff out, I'm just getting 
if I put stuff out about Bitcoin, I'm getting hardly any reach. Right. My reach comes from general things. So I I said a tweet about the UFO thing, 1,700 likes, right? Put a thing about Bitcoin, 50 likes. It's just so, so it's like he's changed so much, and I think he's gone in there like a bull in a china shop, fully thinking he can do make it better. And I think he's actually undone a lot of what they stumbled towards what they'd become. Who knows? Maybe Twitter will have a spiritual awakening and it's going down in its depth so it can rise again. I have no I idea. But, but it definitely but, has a broken wing, right? Yeah, but you got a Nostra and it's like, oh, great. There's always a good conversation. <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah. Purple, purple bird. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit like... It's like uh, Twitter's my Joe Rogan now of generic <laughs> content and Nostra's my rabbit hole recap. Yeah. It's my Bitcoin show. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. But I feel there's a, there's a lot of UX stuff to sort out. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. Yeah. It'll get there. It's a process. I mean, it's so early for how I use, you know, uh, I don't know how to say it exactly, Damus or Damus. Damus. Astrodamus. Nostradamus. Nostradamus. Thank you. Damus. Yeah. And that's been a lot better. I used like, um, I think it was Iris or something before, and Nostradamus. So Damus is much better. A lot of these like historic uh, decentralized things Mm -hmm. have looked shit and been shit to use. Um, Pirate Bay was always just Mm -hmm. a bit fucking shit. Uh, PGP, I never even ever figured out how to use. Uh, this isn't bad. It's for how quickly? I mean, they're doing amazing. They're iterations. Yeah. And then I think the part that I really love is that Jack is sharing his wisdom and lessons learned from Twitter. And so if you look at Jack's feed and his posts, he's like saying like, you know, genuine wisdom and insight. He's, you know, contributing to this community. So we, we can build something different from Twitter, right? Break the mold. I don't think it will replace Twitter. Different. Right? Yeah. 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 I think it's uh, a lot of people won't recognize or care about what's wrong with Twitter. Mm. They would just use it. I think the thing that they're looking at doing in the future, if I understand it correctly, is you will only need one Noster account for like, you know, whatever whatever account you have on any social media platform. So Twitter. Instagram, WhatsApp, any communication or social app. No, KYC. Just, right. Yeah. And so we get into a stage where you can have your entire experience online without giving away data. Right. Yeah, it's beautiful. So there was like an influx of people from China who were downloading the app as well. I think it's now banned from the WeChat store, <laughs> but there's ways, you know, there are always ways. Of course it's banned. Yeah. China bans everything. It was pretty fast, faster than some other things. If you lose your private key and you lost your phone would you have lost your account and have I to think start so. again i think so yeah so i'm just kind of like wondering what's an easier or better way of doing that like i've secured uh, my they're doing gift. face id as well okay so maybe that'll solve it yeah and there's no reason to like chop your head off and hold your <laughs> hold your head in front of a camera to yeah. like because there's no money involved right yeah so like, well there's some zaps Sending lightning, but... Yeah, I pissed somebody off earlier. They're like, <laughs> send me up, I'm going to zap you, and I, I want to send you 100 sats. I was like, that's like two cents. It's like, I've got the time for this shit. And they got really upset with me. Uh, but I think it's really impressive. And the fact that, like, how fucking cool is it of Jack? Like, he could be working on anything. Yeah. He's right in there with these communities helping. Yeah. No, he's a, he seems like a really special human, so really 
grateful to have people like that that aren't just like, I'm done. I'm done with the world, you know? He's still very optimistic and in building. So what's coming up for you, Amanda? So you've got the ski summit. I'll actually be in South by Southwest at South by Southwest as well. There's that Empower Energy Conference in Houston before. And then Noster. Nostrica. I think I'm, I think I'm going to try and go. I think you should. I think it's going to be a really yeah. interesting group. I yeah. think I could do that. I've always wanted to go to Costa Rica. Yeah. I might see if my daughter wants to go. Good idea. Yeah. yeah. Bring her. When South by Southwest? Like the... I think I'm leaving it a couple days early to go to Costa Rica. Huh. We need a name for the, the mini little Bedford conference we do. Yeah, I know we do. Mm-hmm. What should we call it? South by Bedwest. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to come to Bedford? When? No, April, probably going to be April. Th- like April third. 10th to the 15th is going to be the good stuff. Yeah. So we've got our final home game of the season, hopefully where we get awarded the winner's trophy. On the Friday night, we're going to have a What Bitcoin Did Live event. Uh, and then on the Thursday, it's be all drinks in a bar. I'm trying to buy a bar. <laughs> so if I, I might have bought a bar like Bubkey. <laughs> and so like it's like a week of activity. Well, yeah. four or five days of activity. That's fun. Yeah. It, but Bedford's like the Jackson Hole of England. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. We don't I've have heard skiing. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the billionaires kicking out the millionaires. And yeah. then the... The soccer bums. <laughs> there won't be a single billionaire in Bedford. There won't be. Well, can we get you? Can I try and get you over? I'm going to try and get you over. Yeah, ski season ends the day before. <laughs> <laughs> we, will, we will try and get you over. One of the things, you know, when you're looking at different cultures, the one that I found the most fascinating and the one that's been like the most intimidating to me has been mining. Mining took me a long time to wrap my head around that. Well, and the fact that they actually don't, a lot of them don't have a Bitcoin ideology. <laughs> That's part, yeah, right. So when that you're looking me. at these different cultures, you have the, you know, very much, yeah, profit, profit, growth, growth. Then you have the, you know, the Bitcoiner ideology. And then within those, you have different subcategories as well. Like I would say, for me, you know, Amanda Fabiano, I've learned so much from her. She's amazing. Isn't she amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, Jason Les from Riot is someone I've learned a lot from. Um, I learn a lot from Zach at Clean Spark. I learn a lot from like these different people, but you also are able to very quickly see how these nodes work together, right? So you see kind of the Yeah the kind of more Bitcoin or integrity based and profitable working together. You see the integrity but maybe not making it together the and then the others do you know do you know who i absolutely love in mining Mm -hmm. giga energy yeah i went to visit them they're like they're like the they're like the early facebook they all live in a house together they all go and build their shit they're they're just so rad like they're just a bunch of young dudes uh is it texas a&m guys i think that's where they come something like that and they're just they're in their shop welding together these massive like rigs and then they're going out and uh, like building out these stranded gas places. But they're all like in their early 20s. There's this real like uh, young upstart feel to that. It's just very cool. There's a lot of like fascinating people in this. And I think you're we're going to see, especially like in emerging markets, uh-huh. you know, I really hope in South America we see more and in Africa we see more. Um those are the places where this 
mining can be really useful. Gridless. Really, really useful. Yeah. The gridless guys out in Africa. We need to get out yeah. there. They would be it. really good to speak with. Yeah. 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 There are some folks in South America too. So whereabouts? Where's where's good to go? Hydro. Okay. So Paraguay. Uruguay. Yeah. I mean, you can talk to. Um, yeah, there are some folks that spend some time down there. I can connect you with. Yeah, please do. I need yeah. to go back. I haven't been for a while. Yeah. Uh, I'd had a few trips there back in like was it eighties, nineteen, two thousand nineteen. I think it yeah. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was in. Where the hell was I? I was traveling. Were you in Venezuela? Yeah, I did Venezuela. Yeah, that was, I was like, Peter, are you okay? That was one of my favorite places I've ever been. <laughs> yeah. That was wild. That was wild. We got pulled over by the police. I thought we were in big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They wanted to look on our camera and then they didn't. But mm-hmm. That wouldn't have been good. But anyway, that's <laughs> talked about that a lot. Um, thank you. Thank you. Lovely to see you always. Uh, I really value our friendship, actually. And, yeah, me too. Um, uh, Peter's looked out after me for many years. Come on, so. you do the same for me. Yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, it's cutthroat, man. It's, yeah. It can be, sometimes you don't know who's who in the zoo, so thank you. Yeah, well, then, look, there's, um, you, you get friends in this industry. Mm-hmm. Like, Danny's one of my best friends in the yeah. whole world now, and somebody I've met through the job, but I, there's, yeah. there's probably nobody in the world I speak to more than Danny, actually. Like, yeah. family, friend, like, Lucky I, you. yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we that's chat cool. all you the time, and, <laughs> and we get on really well, and that's really cool, and then there's yeah. people you meet who, like, kind of colleagues but like you're a genuine friend that i've built up and i really value that so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad we met that time and and uh you know i wish you the best and uh yeah keep crushing and hopefully we'll come skiing next year don't we? yeah definitely we've got to do that and i'd love to come to bedford so <laughs> please, the... please do yeah <laughs> i'm making bed for the thing okay uh amanda <laughs> where do we, where do we want to send people to follow you oh man on I Nostra? mean, I, yeah. You're going to tell us your NPO here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, follow me on I am N26384Z. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I guess my Twitter has my Noster in it. There you go. Yeah. All right. Yeah. What's your Twitter? Amanda underscore Cavallari. C A V as in Victor A L E R I. Wicked. Okay. Thank you. Thank Let's you. go down to Pupkey. Let's okay, do it. Time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you for that. Thank you for listening to that. I hope you enjoyed it. It's great to hear from Amanda again. She will definitely be back on the show in the future. She's also running this amazing ski summit. Go and check that out. Now, yes, I'm back in the UK. We're working on our next sprint. That is going to be a UK sprint. It's going to be in April. We're going to have a live show there, which is going to be very cool. Hopefully, we'll see some of you there. And then the next trip will be in May. It'll be in Miami for the Bitcoin conference. I know I'm definitely going to see some of you crazies out there as well. All right, I hope you're all doing well. If you've got any questions about this or anything else you do want to get in touch, you can sign up to our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash whatbitcoindid. And you can jump into our Discord or you can drop me an email. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. 